Hi, I'm Drew Beebe, the host of a new podcast from CNN called Great Big Story. It's a show about the curious side of the human experience. And I know that sounds like a lofty idea, but hear me out. Over the course of this show, we'll talk to some of the most interesting people you've ever met, from brilliant code breakers to a couple building their own artificial island. If you're itching for a good story and you're curious like I am, well, I think you might like this show. Give us a listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Good evening. We begin tonight keeping them honest with yet more signs the President of the United States is turning the Department of Justice into a tool for rewarding friends and perhaps punishing enemies in the impeachment of Russian investigations. And in case you think that's overblown, consider this. In just a week and a half since his acquittal, President Trump has already used his administrative authority to retaliate against those who did their duty and testified in the impeachment hearings or oversaw criminal cases against associates. He's already interfered in the justice system to help his friend, Roger Stone, for one, and boasted today that he has every right to do exactly that. And now CNN has learned that Attorney General Barr, who only yesterday said that no one tells him what to do, appears to do to be doing, with one notable exception, exactly what the president wants done in this regard. Officials telling us he's assigned an outside prosecutor to re-examine the case against former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who, like Stone, the president says was treated, in his words, very unfairly. I think it's very tough what they did to Roger Stone compared to what they do to other people on their side. He got hit very hard, as did General Flynn and as did a lot of other people. They got hit very, very hard. And now they're finding out it was all a big hoax. Well, just for the record, Stone was convicted by a jury of seven federal charges, including five counts of lying to Congress and one of witness tampering. Tonight, we've learned he's seeking a new trial for a second time in just days. No word yet on the basis for the request this time because it's under seal. But it does come one day after his friend, the president tweeted, quote, now it looks like the four person in the jury in the Roger Stone case had significant bias. Add that to everything else. And this is not looking good for the quote unquote Justice Department. And yes, the president put the word justice in quotes. The president of the United States is questioning the justice his own Justice Department is seeking. As for Michael Flynn, he pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about conversations with Russians. He's now seeking to withdraw that guilty plea, which might not even be necessary now that his case is being reexamined, along with several others on the attorney general's orders. The same attorney general who claims he is staunchly independent. As I said at my confirmation hearing, uh, I think the essential role of the attorney general uh, is to keep uh, law enforcement, the criminal process, sacrosanct, to make sure there is no political interference in it. And I have done that, and I will continue to do that. So just a day after saying that, we learned that he's reviewing the case of a confessed felon whom his boss, the president, has loudly defended on numerous occasions. Also, a day after that, his boss, the president, went online and tweets this, quoting Barr, then making a mockery of his own words. Quote, the president has never asked me to do anything in a criminal case, A.G. Barr. This doesn't mean that I do not have as president the legal right to do so. I do. But I have so far chosen not to. Those boots won't lick themselves, I guess. It's not like that the, the only instant, that's the only instant of the president being totally out, of front, uh, out front about all of this. This got lost in all the other noise yesterday. But it turns out that while talking with Geraldo Rivera, the president admitted something he's long denied, that he himself ordered TV lawyer and former LifeLock spokesman Rudy Giuliani to dig up dirt for him in Ukraine. 
Was it strange to send Rudy Giuliani to Ukraine, your personal lawyer? Are you sorry you did that? Not at all. I deal with the Comeys of the world, and or I deal with it. Well, he'd said, he'd said before that he never directed Giuliani to do anything in Ukraine. Now he's outright admitting it. Impeachment seems like so last week. Seems the president is not through yet. Today, his golfing partner, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham, said that he's seeking interviews with several key officials in the Russian investigation. That's despite the recent inspector general's report, which, while identifying a number of procedural mistakes, concluded the probe was not the result of political bias, as the president claims, and continues to claim as he rails against the people behind that probe. When you have Lisa and Peter, the lovers... The FBI lovers, Deputy Director Andrew McCabe. And if I didn't fire James Comey, it was the top scum. The FBI lovers, they were going to try and overthrow the government of the United States. In a strangely quiet voice, the president of the United States is claiming that the FBI personnel, that FBI personnel were going to try and overthrow the government of the United States. You heard the president mention Andrew McCabe there. He's the former deputy director of the FBI. He was put through the official grinder for the perceived offense of being the official who launched the Russia probe. Today, after two years of waiting and countless attacks by the president, McCabe learned that he will not face any federal charges in the matter. He joins us in just a moment. Right now, some late reaction in the White House to that very development. CNN's Jim Acosta joins us for that. So what are you learning about the president's reaction to McCabe's investigation being dropped? Did he know that was coming? It doesn't sound like uh, he knew it was coming today. Uh, he did know that, uh, you know, there was going to be a result of this investigation at some point, and he wasn't happy about it. I talked to a White House official uh, earlier this afternoon who said the president was angry when he found out that prosecutors were not seeking charges against Andrew McCabe. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the president, as he often does inside the White House, he was letting these officials know it. They were trying to essentially calm him down. And Anderson, I think you just laid out, uh, you know, some of the conversation about Michael Flynn and how that case is being revisited uh, just a short while ago. I, I will tell you that inside Trump world, the president's aides and advisors, uh, they are latching on to that news as a cause for celebration. I talked to a Trump advisor earlier this evening who said, you know, if the president were one to drink champagne and he's not, uh, he would be sipping some down at Mar-a-Lago this weekend. So clearly they're happy about uh, the Flynn news, not so much about the McCabe news, but they're looking at the past couple of weeks and seeing uh, that the president is very much on a winning streak in their view. And what about the attorney general, uh, the attorney general's interview yesterday? Was is it known if there was coordination with the White House on that? We don't know if there's coordination with the White House. We do know that the president had some sense of what William Barr was going to say in that interview with ABC. Uh, and as we were told uh, by numerous officials uh, after the interview was over, the president was not upset about upset about that at all. And of course, when you hear from uh, Democrats, as we've been hearing uh, throughout the day, they are they are essentially saying at this point that perhaps uh, the fix was in uh, that uh, the reason why William Barr was complaining about the president's tweets is that he essentially wants cover to do uh, the president's bidding to carry out his wishes. And when the president is tweeting and sounding as if he's intervening in these investigations, uh, that doesn't make uh, William Barr's life easier. Uh, Jim Acosta, appreciate it. Long day. You Thank you. Joining us now, Andrew McCabe, former deputy director of the FBI and currently a CNN contributor. Andrew, first of all, what's your reaction to the investigation being dropped after two years? Yeah, so Anderson, it's uh, obviously a huge sigh of relief. It's been uh, incredibly stressful and trying time for my family. 
And um, so I'm, I'm incredibly glad to have that behind us finally. Uh, I'm, of course, glad that the department uh, came around finally to making the right decision. But um, I'll tell you, it's just an absolute disgrace that they let this thing drag on as long as they did and, and put my family um, you know, through what we've gone through over the last two years. Uh, and they should be, um, you know, they should, they sh- I'm, I'm just disgusted at, at the way the whole thing's been handled. Yeah, I mean, to, to have it drag on like this, is, is there any actual reason why it would have dragged on for two years other than to keep you kind of twisting in the wind? No, no, Anderson, there's not. There, this is not a complicated issue. The fact There were no facts in dispute. Uh, there's a small number of people they needed to talk to. Um, IG uh, referrals to U.S. attorney's offices are handled typically many times a year and very quickly. Typically, they're declined before the ink is dry on the IG's report. Um, this one they decided to spend two years thinking about. Um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of that time was spent thinking about how frustrated the president would likely be when they came to the inevitable conclusion that there was no case here. Uh, but that's just a theory on my part. Well, also, I mean, you know, the, the whole it fits into a, the larger theme of weaponizing the Department of Justice against perceived enemies um, or just people he, the president doesn't like. You, you could it, it, they could have been holding it because they were afraid of what the president would say about it. It could have also just been, you know, l- just to leave you twisting in the wind, paying up legal bees, fees and having the stress and this sort of sort of Damocles yeah. hanging over you. That's certainly true. And look, I've said from the very beginning, the attacks on me from the way that I was removed to the FBI to the ultimate uh, criminal investigation, I believe were designed to undermine my credibility as a potential witness uh, against the president for the uh, decisions that I made in essentially initiating the Russia case and and ensuring that that got handed off to a special prosecutor. Um, I think this is the part of their uh, goal here was to, you know, intentionally um, destroy my reputation and my credibility in an effort to kind of put me behind, um, you know, any usefulness in, in, in those uh, investigations. Um, this is the way this administration responds. When someone steps forward to tell a truth or to mi- represent any facts that the, that the administration finds uncomfortable, um, they attack people personally. It's not just me. This is a much bigger situation than just me. Um, We've seen it time and time again. We saw it most recently with the witnesses, those government servants who stepped up and um, and followed the law and responded to lawful subpoenas and told the truth as they know it have all now been attacked and vilified and some of them fired from their positions for doing so. So that's what they do. This president's M.O. is to attack people personally when he doesn't like what they have to say. Yeah, and, and not just that. I mean, it's, oh, yeah, let's fire Vinman. Oh, yeah, and let's fire his twin brother, um, which, you know, seems right. an odd thing to, to kind of an odd exclamation point on it. There was a transcript released today in which the judge in this case previously told Justice Department attorneys that the handling of the case was disturbing in the judge's words and getting close to a banana republic. Do you agree? Absolutely agree. I mean, that's one of the things that concerns me most about not just the president, but the way that the Justice Department has handled these matters that are clearly so important to this president. Um, if, if, you know, we 
don't expect to live in a country where the perceived political enemies of the president suddenly become the subjects of criminal investigations in a, in a pursuit to, you know, to throw political enemies in jail, which is clearly what the president himself has said time and time again. He said it just from the Oval Office a few days ago and decrying the, the uh, sentence that had been recommended for Roger Stone and in the same breath calling for the imprisonment of myself and James Comey. Um, that is an absolute abrogation of every Everything we know and expect from our system of justice here as Americans, and it's disturbing to see the Department of Justice playing a role in that politicization of of the work that DOJ should be doing. You know, this, our system is set up, you know, in a very well thought out way with checks and balances. But when you start to look at what has gone on, um, you know, the president has they've packed uh, the courts with uh, a lot of judges, uh, you know, hasn't gotten a lot of tension over the last couple of years, but they've been very successful in getting a huge number of judges uh, appointed uh, by by the president. Uh, obviously, the Senate is not standing up to the president. The, at least the Republicans in the Senate um, are afraid, clearly, of the blowback of contradicting this president. And Mitt Romney is now a case study in, in what can happen if you do. Um, there's the Justice Department, which now seems to be weaponized. I mean, the, only, the next step, I guess, is sort of weaponizing the military in some way. Um, it, you know, talking about uh, steps toward a banana republic, that is essentially the next step. It, it is. And it's frightening to think through these develop, these potential developments. But you've, when you look back on the recent past and the, and the experiences we've had as a nation, you can't help but be very concerned uh, for our future. And, you know, the founders had the brilliance to conceive a structure in which there were three co-equal branches of government that, that each imposed checks and balances on each other. Well, we've seen Congress's complete and total failure uh, to follow through on that responsibility they have to put any sort of check uh, on the administration. Thank God we still have uh, independent, fair-minded judges in our system, like Judge Walton, who you referred to earlier, um, who are not afraid to call the prosecutors in the Department of Justice to account to explain why they are handling, um, you know, in this case, my situation in such a um, arbitrary and um, an unfair way. So thankfully, we still have folks in place that are that are willing to live up to that oath and to that responsibility that uh, they've taken through their positions. But um, it, is, it is really concerning. Uh, aside from being understandably angry about all of what you've been through, has it been in a way surreal? I mean, in the past couple of minutes, while we've been on with me, while you've been on with me on Fox, there's a banner, banner font calling you a liar. I mean, did you ever expect in any way to be dealing with anything like this? Henderson, I spent 21 years uh, in the FBI um, as a part of an institution that prides itself on fidelity, bravery, and integrity. Um, and to be removed from that organization and unfairly uh, branded a liar, because that was the um, desired outcome by the president, has just been one of the most sickening and demeaning experiences of my life. Um, it's horrendous, and it is unfortunate that having listened to propaganda like Fox News, there's a, a you know there are many people in this country that will believe that forever. I can't do anything about that except continue to live and to speak out um, uh, in the way I've tried to do over the last year uh, to stand up for what I believe in um, and to tell the truth, however inconvenient for the president or anybody else. Right. Andrew McCabe, I appreciate you being on. Thank you.
Thanks, Anderson. Coming up next, we're going to hear from two other former top justice professionals, including one who believes that when Attorney General Barr talks about independence, he's, quote, full of it. Later, one lawmaker's reaction to the president's new plan for spending billions of dollars on the border wall without doing the one thing the Constitution says he needs to do, which is asking Congress for that money. We'll tell you how he's going to get it next. We're talking tonight about a president who appears to be weaponizing the Justice Department and the fear he'll use the power to investigate, prosecute and punish for his own aims and obsessions, namely to do with impeachment and the Russian investigation. Now, before the break, you heard from the former deputy director of the FBI, who's already experienced the brunt of it for two years. Perspective now from two others, former FBI general counsel James uh, Baker and Preet Bharara, both seen in legal analysts. Preet served as U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York before President Trump fired him. So, Jim, just looking at everything that's happened this week, the Roger Stone case, Attorney General Barr's interview, the Flynn case getting reexamined, do you think that this Justice Department is being weaponized? Boy, it seems as though it's that's certainly what is going on. And that's what I'm afraid of, whether it's working or not is another matter. I mean, you you saw, for example, the resignations this week. I think that was a a, an effort by line people to say, no, we're we're not going to let this happen, that that whatever is going on at the top, whatever the president is saying, we are not going to allow that 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 to happen. And we're going to put our foot down now. They're gone. And so other prosecutors come in and those folks have to have the same level of integrity uh, that that the other the people who've left uh, had. But look, I'm quite worried about what's going on. It it is a a very bad week for the Department of Justice, I think. Uh, From what I'm hearing, there are a number of people who are dismayed. The morale is is suffering as a result of this. And so it's something that all Americans should be concerned about. Preet, I mean, you tweeted, I think Bill Barr is shrewd, deliberate, smart, calculating, careful, and full of it. I mean, he's doing exactly what President Trump wants. Does anyone actually think that that he isn't kowtowing to the president here? I mean, some people are suggesting that maybe he's not, that maybe he's finally, um, you know, seeing that there's a straw that has broken the camel's back. <clears throat> In my mind, you have a track record that's gone on for a year or more of Bill Barr basically acquiescing whenever the president wants, the way he treated the Mueller report, the way he delayed the Mueller report, uh, the way he has given special treatment to Roger Stone. Uh, whatever you think of the sentence of seven to nine years, that involvement at the level of the attorney general I've never seen before in any case. And when you do it, when it's a person who's a crony of the president, it looks terrible. Um, and I think that what maybe is going on is he's realized that it's, it's such a boiling point within the department with morale so low uh, and waning. And you had, as Jim mentioned, four career prosecutors withdraw from a case, one resigned from the department altogether. He's got to do something about his internal leadership responsibility as well. And so at a minimum, he, he thought he had to say those things that he said on television. You know, I'd love it to be, uh, you know, a, turn, a turning point, an inflection point where he and others do things more than just talk about how they want to do their job, but speak up to the president and resist the president's commands, whether they come directly or on Twitter. By the way, this whole business of the president uh, communicating through Twitter and Bill Barr announcing his reservations on an interview with ABC News is bizarre to me. I think they have each other's phone numbers. I think they know where the offices of the other are. They should have a conversation about this. And then if Bill Barr wants to say, I told the president that I'm going to uphold the traditions of the of the department rather than pursue your vendettas, then that would be a welcome thing to hear. Right. It it seems odd that this is the way they would go about such a discussion to just have it in the public. It does sort of, Jim, I mean, it, it, you know, it raises the question of is this essentially just some sort of setup by the attorney general to give himself cover to 
of, you know, mollify some people in the Department of Justice who, who may be feeling that what's going on is inappropriate. Um, Barr's never stood up to, to the, the president's assault on the rule of law. So for him to be standing up suddenly for the independence of the Justice Department, does it seem, does it seem calculated to you? Does it seem, do you, or do you buy what he's saying? Well, look, I mean, he did make forceful statements and, he, and, this, and what he said was, was good and appropriate. And I think he deserves credit for that. Now, the reality, though, is from what the reporting is, is that he had uh, pre-coordinated this, I guess I'll use the neutral word, uh, with the White House to some degree and perhaps with the president directly. And so because the words that he said yesterday in that interview really sounded like the words of somebody who was prepared to resign uh, at, at that moment or if the, if the president uh, you know, didn't back down. So at the same time, and he also had to say those words in order to keep folks from uh, really rebelling within, within the department. And so I think he's in, a, he's in a tough place now. He has to try to, if he wants to keep his job, he's got to keep the, the troops happy to a certain degree and keep his boss happy. And that is not very uh, easy in, in this environment. Look, the fact that they're communicating through this way, as, as Preet was talking about, doesn't shock me because, you know, the people that I've talked to, like Jim Comey, Andy McCabe and others who've tried to have a conversation with the president, it's extremely difficult because he basically talks all the time and doesn't really listen. And so that it has devolved into this type of a interchange uh, doesn't shock me. The reporting from The Washington Post that, that as the impeachment trial is winding down, federal prosecutors with the Southern District of New York took new steps in the probe related to Giuliani. What do you make of that? How do you how do you read that? So if it's true, um, it's within the, you know, the, the convention of that office, which is it doesn't matter who you are, how much money you have, how much power you have, or if you even ran that office once upon a time, if there's a basis to investigate, they will, and they'll go with the facts and the law lead. What I think is incredible about that development is at the same time, you're hearing that the Southern District may have an investigation, criminal investigation, into the personal lawyer of the president, Rudy Giuliani, you have, on the other hand, Bill Barr and others suggesting that Rudy Giuliani has some special place and role and back channel to provide information that he is gathering in Ukraine and other places with respect to the president's other uh, political foes. That's not a role that anyone gets if you're a private citizen. And it shouldn't be the role that you get if you are otherwise under criminal investigation. The whole thing is, is, is extraordinary. I'm running out of words to use, but it's highly, highly extraordinary, if I can use that phrase. Um, it's kind of unbelievable. Uh, Jim Baker, Brie Perar, these are uh, fascinating times. I appreciate you uh, coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Well, stay with us. A lot more uh, news straight ahead. A federal jury in New York City has handed down its verdict in the attempted extortion charges against Michael Avenatti, Stormy Daniels' former attorney. Their decision when 360 continues. A federal judge in New York City today found attorney Michael Avenatti guilty of trying to extort the company Nike of millions of dollars. The case is just one of several Avenatti is facing. He's also been accused of stealing money from the adult film actress Stormy Daniels, whom Avenatti represented in her lawsuits against President Trump. Siemens Polo Sandoval has more. Anderson, good evening. I think there were really two themes that prosecutors really tried to hammer home in their prosecution of this case, and one of them betrayal and the other one extortion. Now, when it comes to that, according to prosecutors, Avenatti essentially uh, called Nike, reached out to Nike, and demanded that they pay him millions of dollars, or he would publicly accuse the sports apparel maker of illicit conduct, specifically uh, that they were illegally paying amateur basketball players. And then the other side of, of, of this, of the argument here, Anderson, uh, was that betrayal factor here, that he betrayed 
benefit his client by advocating for money for himself versus his actual client. But ultimately, at the end of the day today, uh, conviction secured for Avenatti as he was found guilty on all three counts, including wire fraud and attempted extortion. What was Avenatti's reaction as the verdict was read? It was interesting before they actually read out that verdict, Anderson. He actually did the sign of the cross before they uh, declared him guilty on all counts. And then he turned to his lawyers, thanked them, hugged one of them, and then let out by U.S. Marshals. And the sentencing, it, it's set for June. Uh, I, I'm assuming they're yeah. going to try to appeal. Uh, it, what, what potential sentencing is this? Yeah, we could look at potentially over 40 years here, but you're absolutely correct here. His attorneys will certainly push to appeal this case. Uh, it's, however, you also uh, have to take into account that he has these two other pending cases, uh, two more trials, one in New York for allegedly stealing proceeds from Stormy Daniels' book uh, and the other for fraud in California. We should mention he has pleaded not guilty on those charges. So, yes, there is a sentencing in this uh, separate New York case. It's scheduled for this summer, but as his attorneys made very clear today, Anderson, that will likely be rescheduled for later. Polo Sandoval. Polo, thanks. It's difficult to imagine a more dramatic fall than this. With me now, Senior Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin. An old-fashioned shakedown is what they called it. You know, I, today I was thinking of, uh, as I'm sure many people remember, he was on CNN a lot. A ton. And, 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 I, d- I did stories, not just the Stormy Daniels interview uh, that he was, he, was, he was part of. I did uh, previous stories with him on 60 Minutes, on other cases he had. And, and I, I got to know him. And I remember once, at the peak of all this, we went to lunch in Midtown, when our offices were in Midtown, and we walked back together toward, to CNN. And... It was like walking with a major, major celebrity. People Mm. came up to him. It's like, you know, go for it. Go get Trump. Mm. You know, he had this hashtag Basta. People Mm. remembered that. And at the peak of this, he even announced he was considering running for president. And he went to Iowa. He went to New Hampshire. And to call it hubris is not even... Uh, I mean, doesn't do it justice. I mean, the, the craziness of this. And when you look at this case and the three cases, he's 48 years old. He could be looking at decades in prison. Really? Oh, so absolutely. there's this case, which, uh, I mean, Paul Sandoval said the f- 40 years is possible? I, I think that's unlikely. But but the um, the way the sentencing guidelines work is that it's based on the amount of money at issue in the case. Mm-hmm. And he's accused of trying to extort $15 million. So if they use that $15 million as the number in the sentencing guidelines, he could be looking at a decade in prison. And the California case is worse. Well, no question. one of the cases is one of the California cases, the Stormy Daniels case. No, the, the Stormy Daniels is here in New, New York, York and it involves him taking approximately three hundred thousand dollars of a book advance that she was supposed to get that instead he just pocketed mm-hmm. and spent on his own money. The California case is much worse because, first of all, it's millions of dollars. And also he was the lawyer in cases where there were awards to his clients, and again, he pocketed the money. People in need, people who had you know problems, that's mm-hmm. why they got this award in the first place. Also stealing money from his law partners. Again, millions of dollars an issue, and all these sentences are based on the amount of loss. So, I mean, these are big numbers. He's uh, Avenatti's attorney said that they are planning to, uh, to file a motion to change his conditions of confinement because they are inhumane. Well, he's in the MCC, which is where they hold people in federal court. 
uh, before trial. I, I, you know, it's an un, it's a lousy place to be. It's worse than being in prison because it's a much more confined condition. He had his bail revoked, so he's been locked up during this trial. He's obviously now that he's convicted, he's certainly not he had his bail released. revoked because he was accused of uh, of trying to hide money, correct? trying trying to hide more money involving a divorce that he's going through. I mean, the the total collapse of his life is really sort of extraordinary. And frankly, you know, I feel kind of snookered because I took him seriously. I think we all, you know. Well, I mean, he was, I mean, prior even to the Stormy Daniels says, I mean, he had won a large judgment in a um, in a class action lawsuit, I think it was, in California. Yes. And uh, I'd actually done a 60 Minutes report about the case that he uh, that he had and interviewed uh, people. I mean, he he won a large jury verdict that then got reduced later on. Right. And and he did. And, and you know, he, he did represent Stormy Daniels. Right. And I, I think in retrospect, her legal strategy was kind of insane. I mean, uh-huh. the, the, the fact that, you know, she was suing to be cleared of a, a non-disclosure agreement that they weren't enforcing at all. I mean, he just he wanted to gin up a fight with the president, but uh, he lost every case that he brought on Stormy's behalf. Um, and now he's accused of stealing money from her as well. But, you know, there was a real pathology at work. I mean, the, right. the, now I mean, what, what the accusations are, would show, a, a, I mean, an extraordinary pattern of abuse. It, it, the, and it's all involving stealing money. Mm. It's all involving taking money that was destined for clients, that was destined for law partners. You know, he had these this really extravagant lifestyle. He drove Ferraris and races. I mean, he had like a Ferrari, he had private planes. Um, and I think it's clear it's yeah. clear at this point no. he afforded it by taking it it's that he incredible. wasn't entitled Jeff to. Jeff appreciate it. Well-known former television uh, correspondent and anchor is breaking precedent to endorse presidential candidate Michael Bloomberg. We'll tell you who and he will tell you why coming up. Think about your home for a moment. It's where life happens. It's where you build that treehouse or try that new recipe. It's where you rest and recharge, work and play. You expect a lot out of it. And that's why HomeAdvisor is committed to keeping your home up and running, no matter what. They match you with the best pros in your area. Pros who can get your home projects done right. From unexpected jobs like appliance repairs, clogged gutters, and leaky faucets, to projects you actually look forward to, like creating your very own backyard summer retreat or getting that new pool installed. Whatever it is, they're here to help. And the HomeAdvisor app makes it easy. Use it to book and pay for more than 100 projects with just a few taps. Plus, if you're looking for some local inspiration, you can see trending tasks in your neighborhood. So whether you need a last-minute fix, routine home maintenance, or an exciting new upgrade, HomeAdvisor is here, ready to do everything to fix your everything. Download the HomeAdvisor app and get started today. Sam Donaldson has spent years as a prominent White House correspondent and anchor for ABC News, never strayed from the ethic that journalists should not take sides and should at all costs avoid endorsing political candidates. Sam Donaldson has retired from the news business, and now he has publicly endorsed former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg for the Democratic presidential nomination. We wanted to talk to him about why he decided to do this. He joins us now. Sam, thanks so much for it. Good to have you back. Uh, your career obviously speaks for yourself. You've held candidates, uh, presidents on both both parties. Hold their, you've held their feet to the fire. Why endorse Bloomberg and why now? Well, because I think Mike Bloomberg is best suited to take on Donald J. Trump this November and beat him. 
And that's something I think is very important for the country. You're right. When I was a working reporter in Washington for 52 years, I never did anything like this. I never gave any money to candidates. I didn't even register for a political party. But when they threw me out at age 80 six years ago, I was free to do this. And I think it's very important now. We are in the grip, Anderson, of a sick, ignorant man. He's mean. He's corrupt. And if we don't get this right, we may lose the things that have made this country the best place to live in the world. And that shining city on the hill that Ronald Reagan used to talk about, which was the envy of the world. So I'm in it. Mike Bloomberg, as you know, obviously didn't compete in, in Iowa or in New Hampshire. Uh, I talked to Bernie Sanders the other day, not only who's concerned about him being a billionaire, of course, um, uh, and Sanders is saying he's trying to basically buy the election and that he hasn't spent the months in, on the ground in Iowa and New Hampshire and doing the work that, that everybody else who's running for the, uh, the nomination has done. Well, yes, unfortunately, money buys elections. And thanks to Citizens United, the Supreme Court case, everybody's money can get in and do so. Bloomberg is putting his own money in. He's not going to be beholden to anybody when he wins this race. On the other side, uh, Mr. Trump is getting money from Sheldon Adelson, the casino magnet in, in, that's okay, in Las Vegas, and other fat cats. So he's got a big war chest. And Bloomberg has a big war chest. And I'd rather have Bloomberg's money than their money, okay? And how do you address uh, the, you know, the, the past record of, of Mike Bloomberg as mayor? Uh, certainly, you know, there's been a lot of questions raised about his support for stop and frisk, the comments he made about it, uh, about throwing, uh, throwing people up against the wall. As late as 2018, he was speaking favorably about stop and frisk. He's since apologized, but there's a lot of people, obviously, who are skeptical about that. That's right. Mike Bloomberg made a mistake. He says he made a mistake. He was convinced that somehow we had to reduce the murder rate in New York City, which was affecting minority communities, frankly, more than some other parts of the city. And he was persuaded, wrongly, he says, that this stop and frisk business might help. I don't know whether it helped or not, but he finally has decided that no, not only did it not help that much, but it made victims of people who were innocent. And it was not constitutional, as a matter of fact. You've got to have probable cause, kids. And he said, I'm sorry, I apologize, I was wrong. How many people do that? Well, we all make mistakes, but I know that a lot of people think you can't trust him now. There's a very prominent New York Times columnist who wrote that you can't trust him now, look what he did. Well, as Harry Truman said, let's look at the record that Mike has in supporting minorities, women, and people in need, not just when he was running for president, but for many years. In New York, for instance, he began to launch the Young Man's Initiative in 2011, which helped uh, men of color, black men particularly, and their problems. And that led, I'm told, and I have it right down here, to President Obama's My Brother's uh, Keepers Initiative. Now, there's an organization in this country that for years has tried to help women and minorities buy businesses, get into business. And Mike has for years and years supported that organization, and he's grown contracts there by over three and a half billion dollars. And, and you think he yeah, really has a shot? Fi- Wait a moment. Can I just continue? I'm just on a roll here, but I won't do it too long. Five million dollars to Stacey Case, Stacey's uh, initiative in Georgia. I mean, she might be governor today if the vote had been counted properly, but it wasn't. And now he, she has his money to help her. I could go on, but I get your point. I've gone on too long. But if you look at his record and you hear someone say, well, you can't trust this man. With all due respect to columnists or anyone else, 
you don't know what you're talking about. Sam Donaldson, appreciate it. Thanks very much for being with us, Sam. <laughs> okay. Have a good All night. right, Anderson, thank you. Take care. Just ahead, President Trump's right. ca- cash grab. Congress is upset with his latest attempt to fund the wall that he promised Mexico would be paying for. A lawmaker from the Armed Services Committee joins me when we come back. President Trump is extending his national emergency on the southern border to build his signature wall that Congress does not want to pay for. He found a loophole so he can keep taking money from the Pentagon's budget, this time to the tune of nearly $4 billion. Earlier today, the president gave a status report complete with pictures to members of the National Border Patrol Council. I don't know if you can see this, but it's pretty impressive. These are different pictures, different shots. It gets spray painted black. The black makes it extraordinarily hot, especially in areas along the Mexican border. It's not known for cold weather. It's known for quite hot weather. You don't have too much snow in this area, right? Would you say, Chad? Not too much. In fact, if you had any, that would be called climate change, I think, right? When they do that, when they do that, I'm there. I'm a believer. When you want to get money for a wall that most of the people in the Democrat Party wanted five years ago, they just didn't like it when I announced that we were going to build it. But we got it built. And I made your jobs a lot easier. Say thank you, Mr. President. The Democrats and a number of Republicans are not thanking him. They're angered by the $3.8 billion diversion of funds that were intended for military equipment. I want to bring in Democratic Congressman John Garamendi from California, who sits on the Armed Services Committee. Congressman, thanks for being with us. First of all, okay. isn't it the job of Congress to decide what gets funded and by how much? So is the Trump White House taking funds from the Pentagon legal under the Constitution? Well, the Constitution is quite clear. It is the power of the purse given to Congress, not to the president. That's absolutely clear. However, the president did find a loophole in two places. The first is that he was able to use what is known as the counter drug interdiction money and move it around. Uh, The fact is that uh, this three and a half billion dollars is going to come out of the taxpayer's pocket and also out of National Guard units all around the nation that will not have one billion five hundred million dollars of necessary equipment so that they can help our citizens with fires, floods, tornadoes, hurricanes and the other disasters that befall us. And for the U.S. Marines, they're going to lose one billion, four hundred million dollars of money for a new uh, assault ship from which they can launch their helicopters. And they will not have two F-35 vertical takeoff fifth generation fighters. Uh, this is just really a horrendous problem, not only with regard to the Constitution, but even more so with regard to the necessity of maintaining a strong national uh, defense. And, and I mean, is there anything at this point that Congress can actually do about it? Yes, there is. Unfortunately, last year, the Senate would not let the House version pass. In the House version of the National Defense Authorization Act, we prohibited these transfers. Unfortunately, the Senate refused to go along with that. The Republicans there once again kowtowed to the president and they allowed they took that particular provision out. I will assure anybody that cares to watch what happens this year that there is going to be a monumental fight in the National Defense Authorization Act uh, that will 
ultimately, hopefully, culminate in removing the president's power of the purse and restoring the power of Congress, the power of the purse, the power of appropriations. It, this is not the first time the, the administration has redirected funds from other military That's projects right. to go to the wall. And the NPR last month, I think, citing numbers from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, they put the cost of the wall at like $11 billion, which is a far cry from what Congress has authorized. You're on the Armed Services Committee. Doesn't the Pentagon need that money for other things? I mean, $11 billion. Is it all well, going to be coming from the Pentagon? Thus far, almost all. The Congress did appropriate, last year at the end of that uh, 40-some-day shutdown of government, did appropriate about a billion and a half dollars for border security, some of which was available for the wall. The president immediately turned around in 2019 and stole $7.5 billion using some very, uh, really stretching the law and set about to build his wall. Most of that money, more than 50% of that money has not been spent. It's sitting in some account someplace. And now this year, he's added once again to the tune of at least three and a half billion, and we expect $7 billion total. <coughs> that's some seven, $15 billion of taxpayer money that's going to the wall. That's money that was specifically appropriated for necessary military projects all around the world for equipment and planes and tanks as well as ships. It's so interesting because obviously the president ran not only on this wall, but that Mexico was going to pay for it. There's obviously no mention of that uh, now. And certainly the idea that it's taxpayers paying for it, um, which is what a lot of, frankly, a lot of Republicans said at the time, you're not going to do this and have Mexico pay for it. Um, Well, here's what happened is that the Congress decided to spend a billion and a half dollars. The president just went around the power of Congress and did it. Unfortunately, the Senate Republicans refused to stand up. Once again, we saw that in the impeachment. They refused to stand up to their constitutional obligations to carry out the Article I powers given to them in the Constitution. Hmm. And here we are, the president running wild once again, running over the Constitution and usurping the power of Congress. Congressman, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. A reminder, don't miss Full Circle. It's our digital news show that gives us a chance to dig into some important topics and have in-depth conversations. You can catch it streaming live weekdays, 5 p.m. Eastern at CNN.com slash Full Circle. You can watch it there anytime on demand, CNN.com slash Full Circle. Still to come tonight, the latest on how Attorney General Bill Barr may be working to undo more of Bob Mueller's work, bringing fresh scrutiny of the possible political motives behind his actions.